This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. Here at the podcast, we love a good tale about surprising and useful things buried deep underground. So I'm excited to talk today about how Ford Motor Company relied on sand from bluffs along the Mississippi River to make millions of windows for their cars across the country. Reporter John Ryan joins us to discuss how Ford excavated sand mines beneath the former Ford plant in St. Paul. But first, let's hear from reader Ben Schmaus, who asked us this great question. Growing up in St. Paul, I used to spend a a lot of time down along the river with my grandma. She used to take me down there for hikes. So we'd go to places like Minnehaha Falls and, and Hidden Falls, and we'd hike along the river, and there were things that you'd see. And the Ford plant was obviously a big component of that river bluff in that area. And there were times where I would see things along the bluff that didn't quite make sense to me as a child. Like, you know, why are there doors into the cliff on the side of that bluff? As I got older, I started to kind of do a little bit of research. And I started to find hints uh, of information about that maybe at one time Ford had mined the uh, sandstone underneath the plant for making glass. So in an effort to try to get more information around that, I figured I would ask that question, did Ford really use the sand under the Ford plant to make glass? Well, John, thanks so much for joining us today. So this was really interesting. I did not know this history about the Ford plant. And it's so fascinating that what's beneath St. Paul contributed to something so much larger across the country. So let's go back in time. Let's talk about how Ford sort of got started here in the Twin Cities, because it actually wasn't over in St. Paul, right? Yes, if you've ever been to a Twins baseball game right by the stadium, there's a really nice old building called the Ford Center. It's got the Ford familiar script logo on it. And they actually made Model T Fords there from about 1914. It was an assembly plant. They would bring in parts and they would literally assemble the cars. So it didn't have like the big blast furnace. You know, you see those factory pictures from Detroit where these giant buckets of molten steel are being poured and they're going to be made into parts that go in the cars. But this was literally an assembly plant. Ford had them all over the country because it was efficient. Instead of having to ship finished cars all the way from Detroit, they could ship train cars full of parts to various places, and then they just put the parts together into a car. So Ford already had a presence in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis. And then when they wanted to build a bigger plant, there was actually a battle between the two cities. Where would it go? St. Paul won. Ford wanted a plant on the Mississippi because it was a source of hydroelectric power. So Ford decides that he wants a bigger presence here and he finds that he can harness the river and and get power from that. But he also finds, and that's the main topic of our discussion today, that there's something that he can harness beneath that plant. So what's that all about? Exactly. Well, just briefly on the power, of course, you know, the Mississippi River was a great place to put that plant because they could ship the products by barge and they built a hydroelectric plant. And Ford was fascinated with electric power. He got his start as a mechanic and engineer working for Thomas Edison before he got into the car business. And even when he became one of the world's wealthiest men, he had an estate in the Detroit area and he had his own private power plant that he used to tinker with for fun. So that the power was a big reason for coming here. But also 
that plant in Highland Park sits on the Mississippi River Bluffs, and they are 99.9% pure white silica sand. And if you melt silica sand and add certain other chemicals, including arsenic is one that you would add, but if you add some things and you melt it, that's how you make glass. And so did they start sort of just blowing open tunnels down there, or how did it work? You know, it actually was a surprisingly small operation. All the photos that I've seen, and I, the Minnesota Historical Society has a bunch of photographs, they all show small crews of guys. This wasn't like in the coal mines of Pennsylvania, you see these huge elevators with these miners that are packed into them going underground. I, I've always seen these sand mining crews like never more than eight or 10 guys. They didn't carve out huge areas. They literally just carved out tunnels. So they carved out about four miles of tunnels, um, about two and a half miles under the plant and about another mile and a half nearby off of Shepherd Road. Interesting. And we also have an interview with a retiree of the Ford plant named Al Hendricks. This is a clip from a documentary on Twin Cities Public Television called Made in St. Paul Stories from the Ford Plant. He describes a little bit about the process. I worked in the sand mine for two weeks during the changeover. I went down, it was 110 feet. Down below, the temperature was 52 degrees the year round. And to cut those tunnels, they did it by air. You would go down so far, and then they would take these air pipes and make a big arc like that, and that sand would fall. And then you would shovel into those carts, and they would go up, and there was a conveyor belt, and you'd dump these in this box, and then the conveyor belt would take it up. It was silica sand, which you need for glass. So John, as far as the sand mining operation, how long did that last for? Uh, It was about 33 years. The plant opened in 1925. It took them a year to get their glass making operations set up. So they started making glass in 1926. They would bring this sand to the surface and put it into a furnace that was operated at about 2,600 degrees Fahrenheit. And it would melt the sand and then it would come out like lava. You know, it would come out as this big gelatinous, bubbling hot mass and it would be rolled out on rollers that were about two blocks long. And meanwhile, as it cooled, they would stretch it like taffy and pull it so that it became big and thinner. And then when they had it to the right thickness that they wanted, they'd just put templates on it with the shapes of the various windows that they wanted. And then they just use, you know, saws to cut the window shapes out of this long strip of glass that they've created. And we're talking about windshields, all kinds of windows. Yep. Well, it was somewhere between one third and one half of all the windows for all Ford cars, not just the ones made in St. Paul, but made anywhere in the United States. Roughly a third to a half of the window glass came from St. Paul until 1959. And at that point, you know, they had somehow found a cheaper source of glass And so they shut down glassmaking operations in St. Paul in 1959. So from 1926 to 59, 33 years of glassmaking. It's funny, as we're talking about this, I'm realizing that my my father owns an antique 1955 Ford F100 pickup, which there's a chance that the glass on that car then came from St. Paul. Certainly is, absolutely. That's really interesting. So the sand mine shuts down in the late 50s, but the plant continued on, right? 
Right. And as people probably know, the Ford plant did shut down in 2011, 10 years ago. Well, you know, it was very sad and unpopular, but they did shut it down. And then, of course, for 10 years, um, there's been a lot of planning and wrangling about what is going to go into that spot where the plant used to be. And as we know now, they are moving forward with um, a planned sort of community neighborhood that is going to be created of mixed use on that very valuable and beautiful site above the Mississippi. Mississippi River. Mm -hmm. So what became of the sand mines after they closed down? I mean, were they still in use for any reason? Not a lot, although there was some use. One of them, oddly enough, one of the tunnels, the University of Minnesota set up a seismograph station in it. Now, this was 1962 at the height of the Cold War, and they said that the uh, seismograph station would be used to monitor potential earthquakes and nuclear attacks. And I think probably more for the latter. This was 1962. That was, I think, the year of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I think Uncle Sam was just wanted to know that if nuclear weapons started exploding somewhere, that they might be able to, you know, sense it through seismography. Um, the One of the other tunnels down the one along Shepherd Road, a little further away from the plant, that was used for about 20 years. The St. Paul JCs ran this Halloween fright house every year called the Tunnel of Terror. And that's where it was. And that shut down in about 2004, I think just because of liability. I mean, I guess they just decided having a bunch of, you know, Halloween drunk party goers wandering through tunnels in the dark wasn't a great idea. Wow. So you wrote this story for us at the Star Tribune. Did you get any feedback from people with some experience on the matter? Oh, I did. And it was so great. I loved it. I heard from like half a dozen people who said, you know, some some variation of, oh, my dad used to work there. My grandpa used to work there. The thing that people always mentioned was people would bring home these big chunks of glass from the plant. It's really fascinating. So they called it slag, S-L-A-G, slag. And if you think about it, if you're like making bread dough or cookie dough, you know, if you just kept using your mixer over and over again without ever cleaning it, you know, eventually it would become caked with baked on dough. Well, that's what would happen at this glass factory. You know, every once in a while, they'd have to shut down and they would knock loose this baked on glass that would be caked on the interior parts of the machinery and the furnaces. So they'd literally have to go in there and bust it loose, you know, and then people at the plant would take home these big chunks of green glass and like use them as home decor or garden decor. So I had these people who emailed me and said, oh, you know, my grandpa always had these big green chunks of glass on his fireplace hearth. Or another lady was telling me how her grandmother had all these green chunks of glass in her garden and she then passed them on to her daughters who then passed them on to their daughters. So now the woman who contacted me is like the third generation of a St. Paul resident who, you know, is using grandma's big green glass chunks as garden decor. Wow. So this glass lives on, not just in antique cars, but in people's yards and houses. I would love it if I was in St. Paul walking around someday and I could spot a big piece of green glass that somebody's using in their yard. You know, that would be really cool. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us today. This is some really interesting history that I was not aware of and not that I should be aware of, but I, I just hadn't thought about it before. I'm delighted. It's my first time on your podcast and I couldn't be happier to be your guest. <laughs> well, thanks so much, John. I appreciate it.
Okay, bye now. Listeners, have you got an idea for a question we should tackle here on the show? Or maybe you've just seen some of these leftover glass chunks in the wild around the Twin Cities. Shoot us an email at curious at startribune.com. That's also where we want to hear your feedback about the podcast. And if you want to learn more about the Ford plant, I will link to some of our past coverage as well as that full TPT documentary in the show notes. And as always, if you enjoyed the show, please spread the word to anyone you think might enjoy listening as well. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis, and our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.